It's lovely to see you all here this morning. Chatty as ever. My name's Neil, and uh, along with my wonderful wife, Kate, we lead this church. It's very, very nice to see you all. Um, if you've got a Bible, dig out your Bible and turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are some up here on the front. Uh, you're more than welcome to take one of those and, and keep it. Uh, the words should come up on the screen. What's wrong with you? Have I said anything funny yet? That's all right. In another world? See the things I have to put up with. It's very, very difficult. Philippians chapter (laughs) 2. Joy no matter what. She's clearly got it. She's been reading Philippians. That's what we'll do. We'll take that one. Chocolate only on the first week. Um, right. It's going to be one of those mornings. I can feel it. Philippians chapter 2. Let's start, if we can, in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for these um, ancient words, these treasured, precious words. We thank you that they are um, breathed into being by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would uh, breathe your Holy Spirit on them and on us this morning. We We open ourselves up. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask that you would come and have your way with us. And Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So... Over the past few weeks, um, we've been looking at Philippians. We've been looking at the book of Philippians. We've been looking at Philippians chapter 1 over the last few weeks. We've seen how, in spite of all the challenging circumstances, all the challenging situations that Paul is facing, he's still somehow able to have this deep-rooted sense of kind of overwhelming joy. We've uh, looked at how sort of one of the secrets 
to experiencing this joy in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what we're facing, is, is having this single mind, this single focus where we're fixing our eyes. We've been singing this morning, fixing our hearts, fixing our souls on to Jesus and the gospel. And as we begin chapter 2, what happens is Paul, he sort of turns his attention um, from circumstances and onto people. He turns his attention onto people who um, sometimes, truth be told, just like challenging circumstances that we face, sometimes it's true that people around us can rob us of our joy, as we looked at right at the very first week. Uh, We know from what we've looked at already, we know from chapter 1 that Paul is having uh, trouble with some of the people in Rome. We know from what we looked at last week that Paul's having trouble uh, with some of the people in the church in Philippi. Um, We saw it from last week's text that there there were all these kind of divisions. There are all these little squabbles, this petty fighting that was sort of springing up, bubbling up uh, in the church uh, in uh, Philippi. And so... That's why, it's against that sort of backdrop, that's why Paul begins this chapter um, with this incredible appeal. I think it's an incredible appeal to the more when he says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement, therefore, you know, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you've experienced any of that stuff, then, 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 please, please, please make my joy complete by being like-minded. Make my joy complete by having the same love. Make my joy complete by being one in spirit and of one mind. So he's, this, is, this is all following on from his encouragement in, in chapter 1 where he says, um, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and what Paul is trying to get them to see is that um, Because they are now followers of Jesus, because they have been united with Christ, because, as it says in Colossians 3, their lives are now hidden with Christ in God, he's saying, because of all of that, because of everything you've experienced, because of everything that you've encountered through the presence and the wonderful person of Jesus Christ, therefore, the conclusion is, the logical outworking of that is that we will live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that what... Some of what that looks like is being like-minded being, uh, and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And effectively, I think what he's saying here is that um, since the believers in Philippi are now in Christ, that is now their position. They've been moved out of the kingdom of darkness. They've been moved into the kingdom of light. They are in Christ. As they are now in Christ, they should be, um, they should be working together. They should be pulling together. They should be uh, living for one another. They should be working towards unity. They should be working towards love. And and they shouldn't be getting into all of this kind of petty fighting and squabbles and rivalry. There's no place for that in the kingdom, is what he's saying. And in what I think uh, for Paul is a a pretty gracious and and gentle encouragement, he's effectively saying to them that... um, these, 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 these squabbles, this fighting, this rivalry that exists uh, between you in the fellowship, what it actually reveals is that there's, there's a fundamental spiritual problem in the fellowship and in the church. And 
what he's saying is it's not one that's going to get resolved by um, kind of rules or regulations or laying down the law or threatening uh, from Paul. What he's saying is, you know, those kind of challenges, those kind of things that just happen, uh, they only get resolved when our hearts and our minds are right with Jesus and right with one another. And uh, what Paul wants them to see is that... um, Basically, at the root of all of this fighting, all of this squabbling, all of this rivalry that was springing up, at the root of it is basically selfishness. He's saying basically it's, it's, it's our selfishness. And what he's also saying is that at the root of that selfishness is, is pride. Our pride. And it's, it's the pride that we have that, that basically says, I want to put myself um, first. I want to put myself over and above other people. And, and he's saying, do you know what? When we're in Christ, there, there's, no, there's no place for that in the kingdom. That's not an option. He's saying we're not going to have real joy. You're not going to experience real joy if um, we keep putting ourselves first over and above other people, which is why um, he talks about it in verse 3. He says this, one of the secrets uh, to experiencing joy, even when we're faced with really, really challenging and difficult people, is to have um, uh, In chapter 1, he was talking about a single-mindedness and a single-heartedness. And and here in chapter 2, he's talking about a submissive heart and a submissive mind. A surrendered heart and a surrendered mind. And he he writes this in verse 3. He says, do nothing, do nothing at all out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so in Philippians chapter 1, it, 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 Paul's putting Christ first, and in Philippians chapter 2, he's putting other people next. And it's this whole idea of others. It's others that's the key idea in this, um, in this chapter. Uh, as we're sort of turning our attention, we're turning our eyes away from ourselves and uh, focusing instead uh, onto the needs of others. And um, so effectively, if you like, Paul, Paul comes across, he's sort of like the sole winner in chapter one, and then in chapter two, he sort of shifts, he swaps hats, and he goes into kind of Paul the servant mode. And what he does in this chapter, and we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, um, is he, he gives us four examples of people who have, are like a model, a demonstration of what the submissive mind and the submissive heart um, is, is like. He, he gives us four examples of people who have um, spent their lives putting others uh, first. And uh, first of all, Paul gives us an example, of course, of Jesus in, in verses 1 to 11, which we're going to look at this morning. And then in verses 12 to 18, he gives the example of Paul himself. And then he moves on to Timothy, young Timothy in, in verses 19 to 24. And then finally, Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. So, um, Clearly, hopefully we know this, that the, the, the greatest demonstration, the greatest embodiment, the greatest incarnation of this attitude, this mindset, this submissive heart, this submissive mind is Jesus Christ himself. And um, so, of course, Paul begins right there. He begins with Jesus and he, he demonstrates, he shows, he's, what he's doing is he's showing us that Jesus is to be our model. Jesus is to be our inspiration as we, as we take on these kind of characteristics and qualities of godly submission and, and surrender. And, um, and the first thing that I think we can see here is that um, 
Like Jesus, we are to think of other people. Like Jesus, we are to think of others. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And what Paul's saying here, he's saying is, as followers of Jesus, as people whose lives are now hidden with Christ in God, we should have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And these verses, I mean, it's just incredible passage of um, Scripture. These verses take us into eternity um, past, and they, they are a reminder of who it is that Jesus really is. This is a, it's like, this is who he is. He's in the very nature God. That's who Jesus is. It's a, it's a reminder, you know, lest we should ever forget that Jesus, since the beginning of time, has had all the glory and all the praise of heaven. Jesus, um, alongside, uh, since the beginning of time, and beyond. Uh, Jesus has uh, sat in perfect relationship with, uh, with his Father, with the, with the Holy Spirit, and this incredibly perfect union, this, uh, this triune God in perfect relationship uh, with himself. Um, had, they, they, the three have reigned over the entire universe uh, forever. And yet, from, if you can imagine or begin to imagine in your imagination uh, this incredibly um, glorious and exalted place that Jesus uh, inhabited, this place of dominion and power and of glory and honor and of authority and uh, wisdom. Jesus, um, from that exalted place, he was in this exalted place, he's in this exalted place, and yet... He doesn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He doesn't consider, one translation, the old translation has this, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. Here he is with the Holy Spirit and with the Father in dominion and all glory reigning over the whole universe, and yet he doesn't, Jesus in that time and in that moment, doesn't consider the equality that he's experiencing in his relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, something to be held onto. And um, you've got this incredible revelation of, of verse 6. Is what we see is that from time immemorial, Jesus, the Son, is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of, he's thinking of others. Before we were even created, before we were even formed in our mother's wombs, his attitude, his concern, his mindset, right from the very outset, from the get-go, was of concern, um, of, of the well-being of others. His, his mind, his heart, has been, from the beginning of time, turned towards you, turned towards me, turned towards the entire human race. Uh, in this attitude, this mindset that says, do you know what, I, I have all of this privilege, I have all of this incredible, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. But he says, I, I can't keep all of this privilege to myself. I, I, I have to use the privilege that I am experiencing for others. And Jesus is right from the beginning. He says, if I, 
to do that, I will, I will gladly lay it all aside. I'll gladly lay it all aside and pay whatever price is necessary. I heard a story I was watching. Uh, um, I mean, I'm going on a sidetrack now. Uh, I was watching some, what's that art program where they kind of fake or fortune? It's called fake or fortune. There's a story of a guy, and his, his, his grandfather was, um, was uh, uh, in Germany during the Second World War, and he had this, a Jew in his employment, and he had to vouch. He had to vouch for this Jew. And this guy was incredibly wealthy, um, and yet what he decided to do, to vouch for this Jew, one Jew in his whole um, um, factory of workers, to vouch for him and to protect and to save that guy from his family from going to the, um, to the gas chambers. He, he, he put his whole fortune on the line before the authorities. He said, I, I, will, I will vouch for this person. I'll vouch for his family. I'll vouch for their woman. And he just laid down his whole fortune. And there are just these, these very, very poor reflections and images of what it's like when we lay down our privileges. And Jesus is saying, I will lay down all of my privilege. I will set it all aside. I will pay whatever price is necessary. So here we've got Jesus, Jesus himself, the son of the living God, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, something to be used to his own advantage. And uh, what Paul is saying here is that that knowledge, that understanding, that as we begin to comprehend, and we can only just about begin to comprehend uh, that revelation, but as we do begin to comprehend it, that revelation should have a significant impact on the way that we, in turn, live, live our lives as uh, followers of Jesus and people whose lives are hidden with Christ in God. More than 20 times in the New Testament, we are instructed on how to live with one another. Um, we are to prefer one another in Romans 12, verse 10. We are to edify one another in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. We are to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6, verse 22. We are not to judge one another uh, in Romans 14 verse 13 and it goes on and on and on you'll be familiar as you read the New Testament those this, these one another statements which instructions as to how we are to live with one another but this this whole idea of others other, others it, it's the key word in the vocabulary of the follower of Jesus if we are living our lives um, with a submissive mind and a submissive heart and modeling ourselves on the attitude and the mindset of Christ Jesus. And so for us this morning, one of the questions that we can be asking ourselves, I think, is how are we living our lives in such a way that we are taking the example of Christ and we are giving, I don't know, of our time and our energy in thinking of others, in thinking of others. Uh, because as we develop that kind of uh, mindset that Jesus had, that submissive mind, that submissive heart, um, our joy will begin to be complete. So I think the first thing we're seeing here is that we're, we're to be thinking of others like Jesus. And the second is this, is that like Jesus, we are to serve, we're to serve others. We're to serve others. Have a look at verse um, 7. What, what, Paul, what Paul is kind of going on to say is saying, well, you know, it's not, it's not just enough to kind of be thinking of others, you know, like in some kind of random and abstract sense. It, that's, that's actually not enough. Nice, good start, not enough. And um, what he's encouraging and saying is we need to actually work out what that looks like in practice. 
You see, um, Jesus didn't only have this attitude and this mindset of thinking about others, of thinking about, well, I don't need to, you know, consider my quality with God something to be grasped. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about other. Jesus actually did something about it. Jesus became a servant. Have a look at verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is the God of the entire universe, the creator of heaven and earth. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And what Paul's doing here um, through these verses that we're kind of looking at, and they're actually from some ancient hymn, from very, some very, very, very early um, Christian hymn. What, what Paul is doing is he's, he's tracing the steps, if you like, um, firstly of the humiliation of Christ. You see this, this, this downward progression, this, this humiliation of Christ before ultimately we see the exaltation of Christ. And, and firstly, what we're seeing Jesus doing is Jesus is from this lofty place, from the glorious throne with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son in perfect relationship. He chooses to make himself nothing. And he becomes like one of us, being made in human likeness. And, and then being made in human likeness, um, he chooses to become a servant. He uses his humanity to become a servant. And ultimately, he uses his, his body, his physical body um, at the cross. He lays down his body at the cross. He gives his life for others. He gives his life for us all by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's incredible grace. That, what that is, is that's the incredible grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all... It's all right there. Um, from heaven uh, to earth, from glory um, to shame, from master to servant, from life to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus not only thinks about it, Jesus not only thinks about us, Jesus actually does something about it. He did something about it. And you see it um, right throughout the gospel. You just look at the life of Jesus. Have you ever noticed when you're reading the Gospels how it's Jesus who serves other people all the way through? It's not other people who serve him. It's Jesus who serves others. He serves all kinds of people. And again, that should give us some kind of clue as to the life that we're supposed to be leading as followers of Jesus when he chooses to spend his time with, you know, with fishermen and prostitutes and uh, tax collectors and the sick and the grieving and the poor and the outcast. They are the people, these are the people that Jesus um, came to give himself to. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so again, the question for us this morning would be, how are we living life in such a way that we're taking on the example of Jesus Christ? And, and we're giving of our time and our energy. Not only thinking about uh, others, but actually serving them, actually serving them, making ourselves nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, taking on the example of our precious Savior. Because as we, again, develop that kind of uh, submissive, surrendered mindset, that submissive, surrendered heart, um, we, we begin to experience joy. There's joy to be found in that. 
we're to think of others, um, we're to serve others. Thirdly, um, it just gets better. Uh, like Jesus, we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to sacrifice ourselves. Now, um, the reality is a lot of us are willing to think about other people, you know, um, and, and, and some of us are um, even ready and willing to serve other people. But when thinking about other people and serving other people starts to cost us something, it's harder, isn't it? It's more of a challenge. Maybe sometimes we're less willing or we, we run out of steam. Um, if there's a, a price to pay, and for us, the truth, I think, is that um, the price that we often have to pay now in terms of thinking of others and serving others is with our time. And for many of us, that's like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. We become a little bit inflexible. We become a little bit less available. Have a look at verse 8. He says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, when we look at the cross, this is why we have it here, to, to, to help us fix our eyes and remind us. This is incredibly important. Um, the, the cross is here because the cross is at the center of everything that we are about. But when we look at the cross, it's incredibly important that when we look at the cross, that what we see there is God dying on the cross as a man. And if Jesus wasn't really God, and, and all that we mean by him being God, then what we don't have, we don't have the self-sacrifice of God at the cross. So what is it that God gave away when Jesus died on the cross? Well, if Jesus wasn't God, okay, Jesus was some great moral teacher and some good chap, philosopher. If, if Jesus wasn't really God, then, then what God gave away was something that was less than himself. You know, if God made some creature, even some lofty, some noble creature, um, like an angel, or I don't know, some kind of being, and then that creation, that creature went to the cross, died on the cross, it, it, it wouldn't have been God giving his own life. Does that make sense? And um, if God didn't give his own life on the cross, he, he, he wouldn't um, have been showing us real love. Um, how do we think about how we show love to people? How do, we show the, how do we show that we love the people in our lives apart from giving ourselves? Isn't that what we do? Isn't, isn't that what love is? It's not love when we, um, when we give something that doesn't actually belong to us. It's not actually ours to give away. Um, when I, I, um, what does that mean? It's Christmas, okay? It's, uh, I think, 80-something days to Christmas, apparently. Um, so we should turn our eyes towards, attention towards that. Imagine that uh, it's Christmas. I'm starting my Christmas shopping early, and I decide that um, I'm going to give away, give a, give a whole load of presents this year. I'm feeling incredibly generous. Um, and I've actually decided that I'm going to be generous and give away um, James's stuff. 
Right, so, um, you know, I'm going to go around to James and Jane's, and they've got a great DVD select, you know, great DVDs selection. You know, so I'll just a few box sets of the West Wing and just swipe a few of those. Um, they have an extensive wine and beer collection, um, which uh, I would, you know, just sort of take into my possession. I decide I'm going to give away, you know, to you all, I don't know, James's DVDs and James's wine and James's beer, you know, his guitar. <laughs> Any takers? Any interested? <laughs> you know, and you get all these gifts, you know, it's Christmas and you look under your tree and there's these gifts from Neil and Kate and you're like, oh, so kind of them, you know, and it's great and you open the present. It's lovely because, you know, you, you needed a guitar. And it's a nice, it's a really nice guitar. And, um, you know, so nice as these presents would be, they're, they're not actually expressions of my love. They're sweet, um, but giving them to you hasn't cost me anything. It's cost James and Jay, actually. You see, we, we show love when we give our own stuff away. We show love when we give our time, when we give our stuff, when we give ourselves. That's what love looks like. We, we make sacrifices. And, and that's how God shows his love for us. The writer of Romans puts it like this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave himself to us at the cross. And when we look into the eyes of Jesus, we have to know that we are looking into the eyes of God. When we look into the face of Jesus, we have to know that we are looking into the face of God, not some created representative, not some agent of God, but God himself. And I need to know that. I, I need to know that. I need to know that um, God himself is really with me, uh, I don't know how to phrase this, but he's really with me in my suffering. I, I need to know that God himself actually understands and has experienced everything that I'm going through, everything that I have been through, everything that I will go through. And so um, when I look at the nails that went through the hands of Jesus Christ, when I look at the nails that went through the feet of Jesus Christ, when I look at the sword that went into the side of Jesus Christ, what I see is that they went into God himself. It was God that suffered. It was God that gave himself for me. God suffered as a man. It was God who gave himself and sacrificed himself as a very, very real substitute in every sense of the word. And, um, and, and this death, this death that he suffered, this, this death that brings God and humanity together, that bridges the gap, the cross that bridges the gap and the separation that exists between God and humanity. And he does it because he is the only one who is able to do it. In Jesus, he is fully God and fully man, and therefore the only one able to bridge that gap. That death that he experienced brought him to the very depths of degradation. From this place of lofty exaltation, of perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son, together the triune God ruling and reigning over the universe, 
this death brings God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ to the very, very depths of degradation. This is God. Imagine, this is God coming down from his throne, his glorious throne. This is God walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And why is he walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Because that's where we are. We, his precious and beloved children, his sons and his daughters, we, are, we walk, we, sp- we are spending our lives, our whole existence on this earth, until we meet with Jesus, is walking in the valley of the shadow of death. It's the dark place of no hope. And so God lays aside his majesty and he comes down takes on the form of a servant. He takes on the appearance of a man. He goes through the very depth of degradation, goes to the cross, and um, walks through the valley of the shadow of death and scoops us up. Because that's why he came. He came to save us and to rescue us and to pull us out of that place. And I haven't got time to explore the dimensions of the cross, except, you know, you need to know that in, in the, the cross in the Roman world it was an absolute obscenity. It was an absolute obscenity to the point where the Romans wouldn't even use the word in polite company. And, and, and in, the, in the courtrooms, when the, uh, the, the, the judges were passing down the sentence uh, to sentence somebody to death on a cross, they, they came up with a whole new sort of way of expressing it so that they wouldn't have to actually use the word the cross. This gracious and loving and merciful and kind one, you know, this Jesus who is so high, so um, gloriously exalted, sacrificed himself, gave of himself, and became for us, became for you, became for me, a, a curse and an obscenity. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, you know, um, we need to allow, we need to read the scripture and meditate on it and allow the truths of the scripture to saturate and soak into our souls. So I'm saying read and reread and reread and reread Philippians while we're looking at this, um, while we're looking at this book because the, the, the Spirit of God is using the scriptures. He's transforming us in, into Christ's image just as we read it. But this morning, there's a, you know, for us, the question is, um, that we need to ask ourselves is, is it costing us anything to be a follower of Jesus? Is it costing us anything to be a follower of Jesus? Um, Jackie, we heard, about, we heard from Jackie Pullinger last week. She put it this, like this. She said this. She said, the principle of the gospel is this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. If the gospel brought death to Jesus Christ, why would we think that in preaching the gospel it would be any less for us? Jesus says, if anybody would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. If it killed him to give us life, and he invites us to then do the same, why would we expect that it would be any less for us? She knows how to say it, straight to the point. She's not wrong. Following the example of Jesus, um, Paul is encouraging us. He's encouraging us to think of others. He's encouraging us to serve 
others who's encouraging us to sacrifice ourselves. Lastly, and quickly, um, like Jesus, we're to glorify God. We're to glorify God. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God, we've seen the, 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 the humiliation of Christ. This is now the, the exaltation of Christ. Uh, Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, I believe that God looked at this life that Jesus modeled and modeled to us, um, uh, this life that Paul is urging us to step into and to press into, um, this whole life of choosing to live for others um, in obedience, ultimately, ultimately leading to this incredible act of self-sacrifice. Um, and, and, and what Paul is saying to us is that um, not only is this the kind of life that we, as followers of Jesus, people whose lives are now hidden with Christ in God, people who are in Christ, not only is this the kind of life that we have been called to, but this is the kind of life that God highly favors. And so, you know, we find salvation by receiving it as a gift. We, we find salvation by humbling ourselves, um, by, by not trying, by not striving, but by, by lowering ourselves. And then, as we lower ourselves and receive in humility this free gift of grace that is ours through the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness, he, he, he raises us up, he pulls us up out of the valley of the shadow of death. And he prepares the table before us, he prepares the table for us and before our enemies. And so what happens actually is um, we, we actually find our lives. That's, how we, that's actually how we find life. That's how we actually discover our real selves. That's how we find our true identity. Not by finding our lives. Not by searching for our lives. Not by um, some great big voyage of self-discovery. Not by looking into myself and, and working out what are my dreams and my hopes, my aspirations and all those kind of things. Um, we actually find our lives. We, we discover ourselves. We discover our calling. We discover our identity by losing our lives. As we give ourselves to thinking about others, as we give ourselves and spend ourselves on serving others, as we, as we devote ourselves to sacrificing ourselves for others, as we live that kind of life, what happens? He's glorified. God is glorified. It's all this kind of weird, upside-down, back-to-front stuff of the kingdom. It's like, who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? Whoever tries to find his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will truly find it. And as we lose our lives, as we just keep on pouring them out, wasting them and spending them in the service of the king and in the service of others, God is glorified through that. He is exalted to the highest place. His name, the name of Jesus is lifted high through our submission and through our surrender. As we as followers of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps as we, as we bow our knees, as we um, allow our tongue to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
as we live that kind of life that, that Jesus has modeled to us. Um, the Father, God in heaven, is glorified. Why don't you stand here?